Yeah. So I, after eSport Worlds, uh, Swift Worlds, I've, I've been on like, I've been off the bike since then. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I'm getting a little, getting a little antsy though. Get back on the bike. I went on like a short run and then, uh, yeah, I went hiking a little bit, just trying to stay a little bit active. The run was a bad idea. Like that <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that sounds horrible. Johnny, uh, yeah, John, J- Johnny could, yeah, Johnny could uh, advise me. He, uh, he probably did advise me not to do that. Uh, so yeah, my quads have been hurting since then. Dude, I got, I like running and I, I like the act of it, but it just, yeah, I do it too much. Cause we're like, you know, we can ride for hours and hours and people are like, dude, 30 minutes is a good run. And I'm like, Oh, it's more like my warm up. Like that's why you get injured all the time. You just run too much. So are you taking a break just as like a rest before getting ready for next year or? Yeah. Yeah. Just taking a, a, a mental rest and a, and a physical, like despite the, the lack or with the lack of racing, um, see you, man, uh, despite the, the lack of racing and everything, like the intensity was still pretty high, um, between all the Zwift racing, um, and stuff like that, that I was trying to do. And I did the Zwift Academy, um, and I was seeing like the best numbers I'd seen, uh, all setting personal best throughout the year and everything. So that was motivating. Like I was, you know, I was getting better and better and better. So I just kept riding the wave and riding the wave. And yeah, I mean, so since like October of 2019, uh, up until, yeah, until this break, I just took like the only break I'd really had off the bike was like three consecutive days off the bike in like right after Johnson city. Uh, I forget when that race is, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I was just ready to take a little bit of a break. Dude. And that's why I, so for people watching, if you guys don't know Tanner, Tanner's like one of my favorite cyclists in the U S because you are a freaking beast, dude, no matter whether you get thrown on a gravel bike, a road race, a crit now Zwift, which is something we definitely got to get into. Uh, dude, you just throw it down. And I think that being able to have Watts is one thing, but you are crafty in every discipline. And then when you started doing the Zwift, I was, the one thing, like I was just getting shelled in Zwift races and I, you know, I didn't take the time to learn. And I was curious, I'm like, I wonder how Tanner's going to do in this. And then you make the world's team and like, that's <laughs> just amazing, yeah. dude. It's so awesome. <laughs> like what's, what do you, so yeah, that how did that play out with let's, well, yeah, there's so I, dude. I just looked on road results. You raced for nine one racing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> buddy. Uh, Kevin Murphy, uh, who yeah, he lived in Memphis, grew up in Memphis, and he went to Fayetteville. Uh, so we were on the University of Arkansas Club Sport cycling team together. Uh, so I joined whenever I was a junior in college. Was whenever I first joined the the club sport team, and then yeah, Kevin was on the team. I think he'd been on it a couple of years, but it seemed like he was the only one on the club that knew what the hell he was doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> everyone else was like new to riding. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Kevin had like raced as a, as a junior and things. And so he was like teaching us the ropes and like, you know, telling us about racing. And like for a lot of us, our first race was like crosswinds and Little Rock. Uh, we all went and yeah, we all raced crosswinds and Kevin was like giving us the breakdown and everything. But uh, yeah, then it moved on and I kept racing. And then he asked if I wanted to join 901. So yeah, I was on 901 for a year. Uh, I forget what year that was. Maybe my senior year of college. I forget. 2015, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been yeah, yeah and senior year of college. Sorry if there's a delay. I think my internet's kind of slow. I've got it through a satellite and it starts to get slow at night. So that's, uh, that's my bad. Um, 
the so wait are you 27 yeah 27 dude your email is tanner well i won't say what has the number 86 in it i thought you were only four years younger than me and i just looked on road results and i was like wait a minute what that's insane dude that's amazing yeah yeah so that was one of those like auto generated emails and it happened to be a terrible idea because like i I, I swear, like, anytime I send a race resume, you know, trying to get on a team or anything, they're like, this dude's way too damn old uh, to be on our team. Is born in 86. Um, so, Dude. yeah. No, bo- yeah, born in 93. I think that has actually helped me race against you because if I had known you were only 27, I would have been way more intimidated. I think I'm like, oh, Tanner's kind of over the hill, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 oh my god dude i i looked through and i was like oh and then i looked at the head-to-heads and i'm like oh kevin gergensen's only 31 damn he's still pretty young too shoot so you guys make me feel really old but that's okay It'll, it yeah. motivates me so <laughs> 901 what was the first race that you won do you remember that the first race that i won um man that's a good question i don't know if i know who <laughs> know the answer to that it's a collegiate um, collegiate crit maybe I think. maybe a coll- yeah yeah i was gonna guess collegiate race of some sort uh i don't know if it was it's probably in the b's uh or something like that um yeah whenever i was racing collegiate i was trying to like move up as quickly as possible because i was uh i was you had to be what was it i was trying to get to cat a so i could race collegiate nationals because uh, i wanted to race collegiate nationals in my senior year of college and I wasn't getting the, I, you had to be either a CAD three on the road or a CAD a like in collegiate to mm-hmm. qualify for nationals. And uh, yeah, so I had to kind of play that bit and, and get the upgrade stuff like that through collegiate and the road to to get the, the upgrade so I could race collegiate nationals. I was like a fish out of water. I probably should not have been in that collegiate nationals race. Like, you know, Grant Koontz was in there, Brendan Rim, like all these guys that have, you know, they, they were staples in like collegiate cycling. And I like, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just like, yeah, going all out. But when you look back, don't you think that was a good experience? Because I'm a big proponent of like, people should just upgrade as fast as possible. And there's always the guy who's like, well, I want to wait five months because there's a cat three race that I want to win. I'm like, well, do you really want to win that? Or do you want to go race like the fastest people possible? And so I'm always, I was like trying to just, I wanted to get cat one. Like that was just like, I'm fast tracking and I got it right before Green Mountain stage race and Ted King had come back and he raced. And I learned a lot just by watching that dude. I'm like, okay, this dude is the world tour guy coming down to race with us schleps. Let's just see what he does. And like, it was really interesting to watch how he positioned himself. I mean, he didn't, I didn't even know if he won a stage because obviously super marked and green mountain, there's a ton of really high quality athletes there. I mean, I was holding on for dear life. I think maybe I got 60th. I mean, it was a really good experience though, to catch those L's just like, yo dude, you want to race as a cat one at like a big race. There is so much work to be done. And I found that really motivating, but I don't know. What do you think? Do you think athletes should go? It's probably athlete dependent, but would you more push people along the way or say, stay back and learn how to win more? Or maybe it's like a fine balance. Yeah, I think it's a fine balance because, like, I think if you're if you're trying to get as strong as possible, as quick as possible, like cat catting up like as quickly as you can, I think it's definitely the route to go. Uh, but from a race tactic standpoint, like learning how to race your bike to win, I think 
at least winning a bike race in each category. And then if you've got the points, you know, move up and stuff like that. Cause yeah, I mean, I definitely went the route of cat up as quickly as possible. And it's, you know, at times I had, I guess what someone would, would call like stupid power or whatever, where I would just, I would race like just stupid shit. I would just be, you know, a break would go up the road, like super early, like two guys, I wouldn't have a clue who they were. No one would be chasing. We'd be going super slow. And I was like, this is, this is boring. Like, what are we doing? And I would try to bridge up solo, you know, and maybe I would make it, maybe I wouldn't, but that's just how I race. And then I'd be fried at the end and not do anything, but you know, it would work like one out of 10 races or whatever, where that break I would get in would still, that's still a good percentage though. And I still haven't learned that lesson of like, (laughs) yeah that's that's probably not that's probably not exact uh math there but it it seemed like it maybe uh well so we're talking about getting as strong as possible you hit the best numbers we just did a podcast with patrick wally and zach nair and the topic is why am i riding less and hitting all these prs and what do you think is they had some things going on because Patrick with a child and Zach working on some other things off of biking have reduced their volume. So what do you think from your standpoint, why are you hitting all these PRs on Zwift? Yeah. Um, in, I guess I, w- I was definitely hitting PRs on both. I was hitting PRs outside on the longer duration side of the things. And then I was kind of hitting more like mid range PRs through Swift Academy that I, that I did. And yeah, Swift racing, things like that. In, you know, honestly, I think it was a just a mixture of things. I, I don't know that I'd necessarily say it was writing less per se. I think I just I started ticking like all the small boxes, like the sleep, the nutrition, um, the stretching, the foam rolling, like getting balanced on the bike. I've always dealt with like uh, overanalyzing pedaling a little bit, like I overanalyzed it a lot and there for a while I was sitting kind of wonky on the saddle and it would just drive me nuts. I would change my saddle one day, change it the next day, change that saddle the day before a race. I did that like all the time. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I veered away from that, uh, this season. And I, I was working more on my body as far as like flexibility and mobility, um, which seemed to pay dividends for me. And I, I stopped overanalyzing writing and I just was, writing so that's that seemed to help a lot it seemed like uh with prs and things like that what's the gym routine that you're doing so you're talking flexibility and stretching are you also lifting all year or i know you lift in the off season or like down period of racing let's call it are you still lifting while racing or what's kind of your go-to to find that way because it is such an unbalanced sport doing things off the bike i think are once I got older, you won't, you haven't experienced this yet, but when I hit like 35, my hips started hurting and I thought it was my bike. And my buddy was like, yo, dude, I hate to tell you, you're kind of old. And I was like, oh my God. And so I had to start doing more <laughs> stretching, had to do some yoga poses, have to do like muscle activation, just these other little things, like a couple minutes here and there that make the biggest difference. But what kind of things are you doing to help uh sort of just stay more fluid yeah i mean every morning i pretty much have like a go-to routine that i do uh starting with mobility work just like dynamic movements just kind of waking up the body and then i'll go into like not 
not purely like static stretching, but I'll do, um, yeah, just, uh, again, just kind of going through certain movements to, to wake up the, the hamstrings. My hamstrings get super tight, it seems like. Uh, so I do that. I do some glute like activation work with the bands and then, um, ankle mobility too. I feel like for cyclists, ankle mobility gets, uh, yeah, I've worked with my coach has been a huge help in this. Like I'm just, you know, she's in Australia and we, we, we talk all the time. Um, and we've tried to kind of nail this stuff down. So a lot of the work I'm doing is because of things that she's noticed or that we've talked through. So yeah, for me, uh, I mean, I played other sports, you know, before cycling and I had plenty of broken bones and sprained ankles and things like that. And we, we did like an ankle, uh, dorsiflexion range of motion. And like my two ankles were like completely out of whack. Neither mm-hmm. one were close to one another. So we tried to nail, nail that down a little bit, which actually seemed to help sit on the saddle a little bit better. Cause of just that range of motion, you know, at the bottom of the pedal stroke. Um, so yeah, just uh, a little bit of everything, you know, it's crazy how, yeah, it just becomes so individualized and you can just one little thing and it moves up the chain and you don't know what's causing it. Dude, it's, it's nuts. Usually when someone's like, my knee hurts, I'm like, okay, so it's probably not your knee. It's probably either your IT band or something in your calf. It's something pulling something in a weird way. And, and I'm like, do you foam roll? They're like, no, I don't have time. I'm like, okay, so you need to ride 15 minutes less than and foam roll until this figures it out. And they're like, wow, I can't believe that went away so quickly. And it's just, it is crazy. It's whatever cheesy saying, like the neck bones connected to the foot bone or whatever, but it is, it's all one chain. You get one thing out of whack and it just sort of somersaults down. Um, what's, uh, so tell me about the esports world experience for you, because that's the last big thing you've done. And from, I don't know, talking to Patrick, I was super excited for him of getting asked to be the DS and be involved because he's been in the Zwift world. And I was watching the race and one of the announcers was like, you know, this is pretty cool. These people are all making history. Like, has that hit you really that you were the one of the first people on Team USA for indoor esports Zwifting worlds where maybe it doesn't seem like a huge deal to you guys that are involved, but like you're going to look back in 15 years when this has been going on, cause it's clearly not stopping. And you'd be like, damn, I was on the first team. Like, has that hit sunk in that like you are on the world team? I mean, it's pretty big deal. Yeah. It, uh, it, it sunk in for sure. Like whenever we were getting the team roster aligned and, you know, uh, Jeff Pierce made the announcement that Patrick was involved and the, the kits were going out and all that stuff was happening. Like it was starting to sink in then. And once the, yeah, the the race roster, all the guys that were racing it, you know, and seeing the the world tour names and everything like that. And you're like, what the what the hell am I doing? You know, with with these guys, uh, it's it definitely sunk, sunk in then. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think you know, ten ten years down the road or whatever, it'll it'll sink in even more uh, after the fact. Well, I love it too, man, because I think the USA kit is so slick and you had the one picture on Instagram of you on the trainer or on, yeah, was it rollers or trainer, but like you were just in the kit and I was like, oh, that looks so good on him. And then we were watching the race and we were just in like a chat thing. And of course, you know, 
Justin, people thought Corey was Justin. So people are like, oh, Justin Williams. Other people are like, no, that's Corey. And someone's like, who's T Ward? I was like, go Tanner Ward. And then your brother was on there. And so we're like (laughs) chatting back and forth. And dude, I mean, that finish was absolutely insane. What was like when you guys were going up that last climb, talk me through that because how did you know how long the how long was the effort going to be and it's like the thing i'm sure a lot of people now understand from zwift you're not doing a one-off hard effort like coasting in and getting position for a climb you are going hard and then going really hard and the guy who won was doing 12 watts of kg at one point just an insane final dig that what was your strategy like how because you were in the mix going into the end how does that what are you thinking? I mean, it's got to be hard to put it, piece it all together when you're just eyes have to be almost coming out of your head at, at that point. Yeah. Uh, so we, we had like our, our team race uh, or a team pre, pre, pre-race meeting and everything. And we, we kind of sat down with all, all of us and kind of went over what we thought, how it was going to play out and who we thought on the, on the team had the best shot at winning. And, uh, me and Jaden are more diesels, you know, type riders. I, I've got some snap, but it's got to be like uh, repetitive and over like a really long race. I don't have like crazy one minute power or crazy like two minute power, um, especially for my weight. And, you know, with the watts per kilo that the guys were doing um, up that final climb, it just, it will, it wasn't in the cards for me. And I, and I knew that. So um, what, what Jaden and I were trying to do is try to keep the race glued together as much as we could, you know, team Canada put in a solid attack. Um, they're pretty late, like within the last five or six K, I think it was. And Jaden did a huge pull getting that back. And, um, and then I think Jordan Chaney from Canada also put in another dig and I helped kind of glue that back together the best I could. Um, and then, yeah, once we hit the base of the climb, I was honestly shelled like there was, I didn't have anything, anything left. Um, so I was, I hate to say it, like I was happy to make it to that point. Um, I didn't know what was in store at all, you know, like the guys are going to be flying. You don't know what's going on with the, with the weight cuts or, you know, I, it's the first world championships. Like you don't know what's about to happen. Um, so yeah, I was happy to make it to the end and just kind of play a part in the race for sure. Well, dude, it was awesome. I mean, to see you there and to see the other names and to see people who had fallen off because some people were like, oh, so-and-so got dropped. So-and-so got dropped. And we're like, oh, my. And at one point, I was like, shoot, I, it's hard. it was hard to follow everybody. And I'm like, oh, dude, I think those guys got dropped. And then you would see your name pop up. I'm like, oh, he's still in there. I mean, dude, to make it to that point, like you said, being a bigger dude, and it was awesome. It was an incredible performance. Like, hope you're super proud of that. Definitely repped the uh central u.s very well for that and that's one thing man like your power is i always think back to the first time we raced um it actually no it wasn't crosswinds when we raced against each other it was actually when we were on the same team you know everyone was animating it and we i got off just off the front of the group and you bridged up to me and I was like, okay, we're about to settle in. And you like gassed it again. And that was the first time that I experienced Tanner Ward's overdrive. And I was like, wow, okay, we're going like warp speed right now. And that's the thing though. I mean, a lot of people get obsessed with, it's really good to hear you say this because a lot of people get obsessed with their watts per kg chart. And that's a one-off effort. It's not what you can do three hours into a race. And it's sometimes hard to 
you know, have athletes understand how much that matters because they might say, oh, well, I only have cat two watts per kilogram. I'm like, yeah, but you can do that at hour four. That's way more beneficial than having just a one-off effort. So I think this theme is actually kind of coming up in a few different conversations I've had with people. And I think it's really important for people to hear that because we're in the world where everybody's just, what's my FTP? And it, it doesn't make them race ready. It makes them, you know, you get a pat on the back because you feel like you're getting faster, which you technically are, but you're not necessarily getting faster for a bike race. Two very different things. So I think it's good for people to hear that from you. Um, 2018, these yeah, are like, for sure. 2018, you got to race in Belgium. And I want to hear, how did that come about? Yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, felt like a whole nother lifetime. Um, so I think my first stint over in Belgium was in 2017. I think, okay. uh, whenever I was on OBP, mm -hmm. I think that was 2017. So, um, we raced like the first half of the road season here in the U S and then me, Adam and Jacob, all three went, uh, to Odenard, Belgium. And we raced for six weeks while we were, while we were there and we were just jumping in like every kermesse we could. And Adam and Jacob had both been there before. And so they were kind of showing me the ropes and we were, I was learning, you know, as much as I could. And I think it was like three weeks in, four weeks in, I, won my first kermesse like I got in a break with four guys and then one had a mechanical another guy crashed or something and it was me and like uh, stand a wolf and he's now like world tour lotto sudal and me and him we we just rode the two of us and then I was able to beat him in the sprint at the end and then uh not like three or four days later I won another kermesse uh in another four-man four-man break on this like super hard hilly kermesse I was like, this is absurd. Like, I don't know what's going on, how I'm winning these races over here in Belgium. Cause like all I'd heard is, you know, all the classic stuff we hear about Belgium, like you're going mm -hmm. over there, you're getting your teeth kicked in, which I did plenty. I got my teeth kicked in, but uh, yeah, I just got those, those two results. And then from there, I just proceeded to, yeah, reach out to like some, some Belgian team directors. I was just sending out my res resume and got a couple to respond. And then, yeah, United Cycling, uh, Johan, he messaged me back, said that they would love to have me. So I, you know, went back and forth a little bit. I was like, am I ready for this? And was talking with my coach, Ernie, at the time. And, you know, he raced at a really high level. And, yeah, I just decided to go for it. I was like, I've got, I, you know, starting the sport late, I was trying to, it was still back to that trying to advance as quickly as possible. And I mm -hmm. did that through the categories and I was like, I'm going to go to Belgium. That's where I've got to learn uh, how to race now and how to, how to race, but also get stronger. And uh, yeah, so I took that and yeah, I did that in 20, 2018. Yeah. What do you think? What is, what are some of the top things that you learned over there that you can apply to us racing? And for people that don't know what a Kermesse is, how would you explain what is a Kermesse? Oh, um, so yeah, Kermesse is like, technically speaking, I guess it's a short circuit race somewhere between a crit and a, and a road race lap. So it's, I think it's, yeah, generally between like uh, five and 12 kilometers, something like that. And the races end up being like two hours or wait, uh, I think it's around like a three hour race. I forget, you know, depending on the elevation and things on the, the duration and the, the length of the races. Um, 
And yeah, it's just, I almost describe it too. It's like a Zwift race, but out on the road. Cause it seems like there's no, no let up, you know, like mm-hmm. that's the thing about racing over there. It seems like, and I tell people this here, you know, here in Little Rock and uh, some of the local races is like these kermesses for the Belgians. To me, it seems like their training races. It's like, yeah, they, they care that they win, but they're trying to get strong from it. And like some of the races here, uh, it's very, it'll be very slow and very tactical at times, you know, uh, it'll, it, it, for me, it drives me nuts. Like for smaller local races, I'm like, we are, we're all here. We all need to get stronger. Like if we, if we all just like roll as hard as we can or whatever, you know, it's not tactically the best racing, but as far as getting strong and, and racing, like, and I think that's why I, I did okay, you know, over there at the first go round for, for the Belgian racing and the Kermesse racing is that was just the, the mindset that they had to is just race all out. And in the end, uh, you know, whoever's the strongest wins. Did you ever do up in, Oh man, I'm going to blank on the name. It used to be a four or five day stage race in Massachusetts called, uh, oh God, damn. People up in, I just had a hard time remembering a neighborhood in Rochester. And now I'm like forgetting the races that I used to do. I've been in the South too long, but I don't know why circuit races aren't more popular in the U S because this circuit race had like a stair step, a pretty funky downhill. And then like a couple decent rollers that it was just enough that it was fast, but it was so hard for two hours. And it was like, it was awesome. And these circuit races, they just don't seem to happen. We're either crit or some road races, but I wish there were more circuit races. They are so fun. And a three hour, two and a half, three hour race is such a good duration. I mean, you actually feel like you went and raced, whereas, you know, talking to somebody else who wants to go do USA crits and they're younger and they're like, you know, it kind of sucks to drive around the U S for a one hour race or some are an hour and a half, but I don't know. I wish there was more circuit races here. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, for the younger riders, you know, that are, their aspirations are to make it to Europe or whatever. It's like, they can't be racing crits all the time if they want European teams to notice them. And the road races have kind of, there's not many more popping up per se. Uh, So the gravel racing seems to be taking a little, you know, it's gone from like, no more road races to 150 mile gravel races. So it's kind of like jump dramatically to that. Uh, um, so where we left off, this was good. Uh, talking about Belgium, uh, one thing we got off track of, what do you think were some of the things you learned when you were there? Um, I think one of the biggest things I learned while I was racing there is just like positioning within the field, uh, being ready for like, yeah, be, being ready for anything, you know, over there with the crosswinds and how narrow the roads were and everything, uh, you just had to almost be on alert, like, at all times. Mm-hmm. And not knowing the courses over there and, like, the, you know, I, I raced a bunch of the inner clubs toward Liège, toward a Namur, which are, like, five-day stage races uh, with the Continental Belgian teams. And a lot of those guys have raced those since they were juniors. You know, they've been racing them for forever. And I had no idea what I was racing. And, like, there wasn't much of a race book, you know. So it's <laughs> like you just had to be up front and, like, just attentive at all times. Um, and so uh, that that's definitely helped, like, here in the U.S., just always being ready to go with something. Uh, it's not quite as necessary. It doesn't seem like here in the U.S. Uh, since, you know, the, the roads are so wide and everything, like, 
um, you can generally, yeah, you can generally cover about anything, just at least with the the bigger stage races with the open courses. Like it's kind of funny because some of the smaller races here, you know, with the one lane, some, you know, with the yellow line roll, sometimes you get boxed in or whatever. And yeah, you can't do anything. Like I think that happened at Tora North Georgia, I think on one of those early days, I don't, I don't remember if you got off the road or one of the second or third place got off the road. I like couldn't do anything for the first two miles because everyone was just chilling. So, Mm, okay. Yeah. I was surprised at Joe Martin, how wide the roads were. I was like, this is really there. I kind of didn't like that because, because of that reason, like there was no sneaking away from the front. It was just like as much space as you could even think. It was like a football field. It was kind of crazy, but Yeah. yeah so positioning is huge and i think that's one thing that somebody that's just asked me about that uh newer rider they got boxed in for a sprint and we're like oh, the only thing i could have done was gone over the yellow line i'm like well you need to think before that you need to be in a position always able to cover something and that's something that you do really well i mean that definitely shows your skill set you have your like tanner's always in the mix and you are ready to animate at the right time so i think that's that's awesome What's, did you have any specific training that you did going over there knowing that, okay, these are going to be two hour races, full gas. Did you change anything? Do you remember heading over to Belgium? Um, so the, the first stint I did over there in 2017, the six weeks I did over there, those were the Kermes races that were the, like the two to three hour mark. So we we didn't really change anything. Uh, just kind of went over there and raced like and trained like I normally would now whenever I spent the full team or the full season over there in 2018 I met with my coaches before because we knew that's where I was going and those, those races were a lot longer you know those were your 80 to 100 mile road race stages and you'd have four or five of them like they didn't do crits you know when they're mm-hmm. five day stage races so it's road race after road race after road race and uh, heaven yeah I met yeah exactly I was I, I thought that originally, you know, and then you get over there and you get, you're like, maybe, maybe not. If you're like, you're on a bad day, then it's, yeah, it's the opposite. It's hell for hell for five days. But um, yeah, like uh, I met with my coaches uh, at that time and kind of went over, like I, I knew I had to bump up my volume. I knew what, you know, the guys over there training, racing full time pretty much. And I was still trying to float a part-time job at that time. And, train and I was just trying to train as much as possible but uh long story short on that I ended up changing coaches like in the middle of the season whenever I was in Belgium like in March or April mm-hmm. that is when I changed to the current coach I'm with and so um I yeah I kind of in hindsight I wish I would have done that you know um at the start of the of the off season some mm-hmm. October November because I kind of got into like maybe didn't have the right base laid out for the build that my current, my new coach was giving me. So I was almost like, I almost felt like I was always in a hole whenever I was over there. Cause I was racing a lot and then the racing was super difficult. And then my training was harder than it had, than it had ever been. And uh, yeah, my base wasn't probably where it needed to be. Mm-hmm. Who is your current coach then? So we can give them a shout out. Yeah, so my current coach is uh, Natalie Kabish, and she works with Kevin Poulton. Uh, they're, they're like powerhouse cycling out of Australia uh, in Sydney. 
Dude, that's so funny. I actually, I might've just come across them when I was Googling different terms and somebody one time was like, oh dude, you're house or you should have used the name powerhouse. And I was like, I wonder if anyone ever used the name powerhouse. And I just saw their thing when I Googled what, like who's doing powerhouse likely. That is so funny. <laughs> What's, what do you think, what was Natalie putting on your calendar for training that was so difficult that you just hadn't experienced before? Was it, um, yeah. Yeah, I think it it was the sheer volume as well as just the way it was laid out, right? So, like, the way she had me training and the way I train now, and, I, and I've heard you talk about it as well, like, in, in some of your other podcasts and things, is, like, doing a big block of endurance or tempo and then doing VO2 at the end of that ride, you know? Mm-hmm. You're, you're not doing it at the beginning, and you're doing it in a fatigue state, and it was... There was a lot of stuff like that, and then it was just the accumulation of fatigue, like over time, um, from one, you know, building a three three day hard block of training, and then yeah, just trying to trying to get through it like that, and that you know, it was just a, a big a big shock to the system. I think training like that while mm-hmm. while racing. It is such a fine balance and it's like really, it's super, it's great to do. I mean, when you're riding three hours and you're like, oh my God, how am I even going to be able to do VO2 max stuff correctly? And it's, it's, it's surprising what we can do. Like on paper, it looks awful. And maybe you don't do it as well the first time or you don't get through the session the second time. And eventually the third time you nail it or whatever, but it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough, but it, it does doing those rides kilojoules deep. I don't think a lot of people do it. And that's the biggest thing that I've, I think that's one of the only reasons at times when for like gravel stuff, I've been able to be competitive because I look at some of these athletes and I'm like, this person is definitely a more accomplished cyclist than I am. So I got to figure out how can I even try and ride with them when we're four hours into a ride? Like they're just stronger than me. Watt per watt. Like I got to figure something out. I think it's, I don't know. I think those are definitely beneficial sessions. Um, can't do them all the time because you just get tired. Like you said, it's, it's a big blast of the system, but there's something to them. Um, talking about Europe and it, what do you think for younger cyclists? Like where, and dude, I'm laughing still that you're 27. Um, so this is going to be a question, a general question. Then I'm going to get a question based on where you want to go. But what do you think? What's the current state of things? I mean, things have really changed up a lot. And if you're a road cyclist and you're 20 years old in, in the U S what do you think somebody should do? And I, and you kind of share whatever you want to share. Like, I know you've gone through a lot of conversations with different people of, you know, you, you can go win a lot of crits, but you know that just winning crits doesn't get European teams excited because that's not what they're doing. What do you think people should do? And what are you doing? What's your game plan? Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, Sorry to put you yeah, on the spot. Late. <laughs> no, no, you're good. It's not, it, it's something I think about all the time. It's like I feel like you. I could spend a whole hour, you know, talking about this particular topic. And um, yeah, starting late in the sport, you know, I, I went the route of like of going to Europe and just kind of going in the deep end and trying to do it that way. Um, and I, I think if you're a younger rider and, and you're starting to see it with a lot of them, uh, you know, kind of taking the step, you know, Hoggins Berman, Action Hoggins Berman is like the team to be on, right? If you're mm-hmm. under 23 and you're, and you're trying to go to the world tour and, you know, they only carry so many spots, but the 
U.S. has a number of good riders. So you're starting to see some of them go over to like smaller uh, continental European teams um, just to get that that the the experience and the and the miles like underneath their legs uh, when racing over in Europe. Like just the sheer amount of races, and then the fact that they do primarily road races of, of big distances, like. Yeah, that's and just with how close all the racing is, that's the other thing geographically, like we're at a disadvantage here in the U.S. Like if we could shrink the U.S. down and have everyone like within five five hours where at all times, like all the fast guys were there, then Mm -hmm. it could be a different story. But yeah, it's just it's crazy. I mean, it's when I so was my second season, got my cat one, did that race with Ted King. The next year I was out in Boulder. My coach was with Fast Cat and Frank Overton looked at me and he was like, yo, dude, you trying to go pro? And I was 27. And I'm like, well, I think it's a little late. And he's like, well, you're on the edge. And I'm like, dude, I've only been riding three years. Like I have no, no like career volume to really be building off of. And he said, well, let me tell you this. If you want to have any shot, you need to not sell medical devices. You need to be in your car and be at every race all over the place and it was really like it was one of those things that i look back on i have no regrets like the only regret i have is one of my teammates eventually got to go race for a conti team in france for two years which i think would have been really cool but you know i was really torn i was like okay so i'm i'm building this career thing i just started this new like it's a hobby but i was addicted to it so i'm like is this more than a hobby is where is it going and trying to weigh that, like, do I give everything up that I have started to try and, like, drive around? And and my biggest thing was a lot of the races then, the NRC, well, when it was called NRC, it did have road races, but it was kind of hitting that transition point where crits were the thing. And I hated doing crits, and I didn't do well at them. Like, I'm just not a good crit rider yeah. against better people. I'm timid. I don't corner. Like, I need a ro- I need an 80-, 100-mile road race. So I'm like – that I was in the same boat of, and, and really, I don't think I even believed in myself of having a chance. I was like, ah, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, do the regional thing. And I think that's the unfortunate thing about the U.S. Um, even a guy reached out to me. His son is young and talented, but there's crits for him to go to. If he wants to go to Europe, I'm almost like, dude, he needs to go and get a top 10 at, like, Belgian waffle ride. That's going to get someone's attention. Like, I think gravel, because of the fact that you're doing distances similar to European racing, you're going to race against people like Colin Strickland, Stetna, friggin' even guys like Eric Marcotte that everybody knows in the road race scene. Like, you're going to be putting elbows up with these guys. And if you can get a good performance done, I'm not – obviously, I don't know. I'm not a a pro – team manager but if i saw that versus someone winning a crit to me a crit wouldn't do anything for their resume i don't know it's a tough tough spot i guess if you're in the u.s um any other thoughts on that yeah. what would you say yeah it's a real real tough spot yeah 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 it's a real tough spot like i mean i i spoke with a continental team director you know about next season um in and right now in the U.S., there's what with COVID that that throws a whole wrench into things. Not knowing what the U.S. calendar is going to look like look like and stuff like that. But there's just not much of a reason, or you know, as far as the races you get into to be 
for teams to want to be continental. So if you're not already a continental team, like th- there's not much of an incentive. It seems like for uh, elite teams to want to go continental and to bolster, you know, the, the U S teams there, which m- if there's that many teams, it would promote, you know, maybe more stage races, more, more road races, things like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it just seems like it, there's not enough incentive there for, for the U S teams and, and to find the sponsors to get to these big races. Like you look at what Colin Strickland's doing stuff like that. Um, that seems to be the route for, you know, more and more U S guys, if they want to stay here now, if, yeah, if you want to make it to, to Europe and that that's been my ultimate dream, you know, is to, to be racing in Europe at, you know, the, the spring classic stuff like that. That's, that's where I would see myself if I, if I were to try to pick uh, yeah, a selection of races, like that's where I would want to be. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's hard to, to get that opportunity, obviously. And you've got to make a name for yourself. And the best way to make a name for yourself right now is just in Europe. It seems like. Yeah. So would you, is that your goal still get over there? Like, do you have a timeline of where you're trying to be at or is it just take it season by season, try and get the best results at what races you can go to, or how do you look at that? Yeah, it's a, I I don't like putting timelines on things, especially for something that it's, you know, I truly enjoy. I, I enjoy the process and I think that's why I've stuck with, uh, with cycling for so long. Um, and that's why I think I've had personal best, even through this, you know, this COVID season with the lack of racing and everything. I like the process. Um, and maybe that comes from other sports and gym background and just being able to measure, uh, progress. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I originally, I did have a timeline that I was going to race 2020 season and then make a decision after this season, but I'm, I'm not gonna, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not going to end things like this. So yeah, I'm going to race, race next year and then see what happens uh, in the 2021 season. And then, yeah, make a judgment call from there. Cause right now just working part-time and uh, yeah, training like I am, you know, it's uh, <laughs> looks all good on the surface on Instagram and stuff like that, but it's, yeah, you can only do that for so long. I feel like it's, yeah. Well, everybody's highlight reel. Yeah. Hey, are you at work? Do you have to go? I don't want to hold you up if you got to get inside. No, you're good. I I uh I pulled off just like near work, but okay. yeah, you're good. Um, what's the so I think that that bears another question because it's like when people say, do you know, do you pivot? And I've had a couple other people mention like it's actually been great that people have been getting something from these podcasts, either thinking that they want to leave like a nine to five career and really focus more on a passion. Other people saying, hey, you know, maybe I want to become involved in the cycling industry somehow and they want cycling in their life like I look at it as okay you Colin Strickland I love what he had done and he's doing his own thing and he's making a great living doing what he's doing um seems happy doing it there's like a different type of pro now and it's not necessarily UCI pro and I think if people want to find their niche and their way to do it and social media is one thing and it's like um, would you consider, do you want to be a professional within cycling or does it, is it only UCI pro? Because dude, if you're, <clears throat> if you're only 27, I mean, everybody always told me that. So I started when I was 26. So I was like getting into my legs probably at like 
getting good results like 20, 29. And a guy was like, oh, well, since you started so late, your best years will be when you're 33. I'm almost 39, and this is definitely my best year. And I plan to be my fastest at 40, no doubt. And you're only 27, dude. And you've been riding for, what, eight years now? Like, when you're in three years, you're going to be crushing. So, like, I hope you don't give up on finding a way to make this. I mean, you can make a career in cycling. It just depends if you only want it to be a UCI road or do you want to be like, dude, you're a killer. You, there's definitely a road for you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what's your thought on that? I know. I I want, I want to stay in the sport. I love the sport. I honestly do. Um, I love riding. I love the community. I love everything about cycling. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, trying to, you know, like I said, my ultimate goal is to get to Europe and to race over there. It's super difficult. You know, it sounds, sounds good on the surface, like go over there, race, make a name for yourself, but you know, you can go over there and get your teeth kicked in for sure. And those belts, like you never know what's going to happen. So, um, yeah, I mean, just uh, swinging back to like Colin, he had the opportunity with EF and, mm-hmm. you know, he weighed out his pros and cons and stuck with the decision to stay doing what he was doing. And so that is a, you know, a tough decision. I don't have a decision like that to make or anything, but um, right now, like my, my eyes are still in Europe. And then if, if I don't, if that, if that doesn't work out, I still want to be involved in the sport. And I do like the, I have, I have some issues with the, with the gravel racing scene uh, just as far as registration things like that 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 seems to be going on i don't i don't like how some of the the selections are made but it is what it is um i i just think like if yeah if all the best gravel racers are there then that's good for good for the sport it's good for the community stuff too to have everyone there but there's definitely some some guys getting left out if you don't have i don't know what the criteria is i don't know anything about all that stuff but um, I, I don't like the way that's going, but it it does seem to be the route that riders can take if, yeah, if you're not doing the UCI Continental route anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I, I've always, I remember Dieter Drake put on tour bat and kill him. People used to, you know, really give him a hard time about the price. Back then it was like a hundred bucks, which was a lot for a road race, but it was the largest one day road race in North America the i can only imagine the logistics that the guy had to do and i was like hey man if people don't want to go do this race don't do the race this is what he's charging if you want to go all the best guys are there this is the race in the northeast like show up or just be quiet and so i've always i personally i don't like how these gravel races close it's like a race to the registration i'm like are we racing to get in the race like it's kind of weird but at the same time I understand they're running a business. They want to have X amount of riders. They want to fill those spots and that's how they're going to do it. But it is like, I definitely had major FOMO. I haven't been able to get into DK and now I'm a little disenfranchised by it. Um, it was incredible what yes. Colin got to do there. And I'm like, God, I just wish I could have at least towed the line and seen what I could have done. But, you know, I guess it's the same, it's a different way of, you know, I wish I could have, been 29 and towed the line in a European race just my life didn't take me down that journey so it is what it is make the most of it either way but I know what you mean it's a different scene and I like gravel but road is my thing and I'm actually uh, I think the guy who mentored me will have a heart attack if he hears me say that I really enjoy like 
this, I don't want, it's not a resurgence, it's this surge of like Grand Fondo series. And it's sort of like getting rid of categories and it's kind of got the gravel aspect of everyone can race together and people are showing up ready to race. And I'm like, you know what? Shoot, I don't care if it's a USA cycling event. If people are showing like we did uh, Emmett Smith, that was hard as hell. And um, hey, it's a grand fondo with a band and food and a lot of people who aren't racing, but those that show up, they're ready to go. And if it's a way that we can just get all the best people together and have a who's the best on July 11th in Dallas, Texas, let's do it. So I'm curious yeah. to see where everything kind of goes and how it, what it lends to people trying to make it to Europe and um, hmm, we'll see. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, customer, yeah, sponsors and all that, they, you know, they want to see impressions and people's eyes on product and, you know, all the business model and you go to a crit. Uh, a local crit or something put on by USAC and there might be, you know, you'd be lucky to have 50 spectators there. It seems like on, on most of them, then you go to Grand Fondo, everyone's there to ride themselves. And so that's kind of the same thing between that gravel racing. You look at a uh, triathlon where mm-hmm. all the, the non pros are there to race as well. So there's that, that kind of format seems to be what's needed a little. Yeah, yeah. it is. What at a Kermesse in Belgium? Is there a good crowd there, or is it like a U.S. crit? There's a pretty solid crowd at all the Kermesses, and that's just because of the culture. I feel like you know they yeah. shut down the the restaurants and the or they leave the restaurants open on the course, but some of the the other businesses will seem to close down, or they might might not close down, but they're all outside watching the race, drinking beer, betting on the on the race, you mm-hmm. know, just kind of taking in the day and stuff like that. So I couldn't believe um, when I went over there for yeah. school, the lady that had the Airbnb that I stayed at, she's like, "So, do you like Gilbert?" And I was like. Wait, you know cyclists? She's like, you're in Belgium in uh, Belgium now. We all know all the cyclists. And I was like, it was such a culture shock. I did not see that coming at all. It was pretty awesome. Um, so are you doing first internet next year? Or are you still trying to figure out what's going on because of COVID and maybe other opportunities? Or do you have plans set in stone yet? Yeah, I'm doing first internet again next year. Uh, the guys are great. The, the support's been awesome, you know, even through the uncertain times of, of, uh, this, this season that we just went through. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's again with the UCI continental thing, there's tour Utah and that's really the only advantage of being on a continental team. Um, so yeah, there, I, the I reached out to Hincapi, you know, because they were having a primarily European campaign for mm-hmm. 2021, and they were trying to do it for this season. And then they ended up, you know, shutting the doors or folding for for next year. And they they said that they'll hopefully maybe be back, you know, in their Instagram post that they might be back uh, mm-hmm. next season. But who knows? And so, yeah, once that news was made, I kind of just uh, yeah set my set my eyes on first internet and i tried the zwift academy i i did give that a go um and that the finalists for that will be picked um i think sunday or something and that that writer that it's five guys competing and five women competing um and yeah the writer goes the men's writer goes to alps and phoenix with matthew vanderpoel's team and then uh the women's uh winner goes to canyon sram so i was Do you have that race this weekend go ahead no, no. So I, I got, I got the email uh, last 
last week that I was no longer in the hunt. Um, wow. so I was in the hunt for a while, um, and had to submit some, some stuff to them to, cause they had narrowed it down to a selection of, I don't know, I don't know how many, how many it was, but yeah, just last week, I think it was, I got the email saying that I didn't make the cut. Um, yeah. and then I think a day, a day later, they made the announcement on who the, who the writers were. And yeah, it's a, it's stacked for sure. You know, it was disappointing for sure. That whole day I was pretty bummed. Um, but yeah, I just gotta, hey, gotta man, move on with keep, it. It was a keep, great experience. Yeah, dude, keep going. I mean, I'm, I'm still like, I wish I had it recorded when I opened up road results. I was like, wait a minute, Tanner's 27. Wait a minute. I like the world stopped for a second, dude. I'm so pumped for you. Like this is, yeah, dude, something amazing is going to happen. And first, Internet's such a ridiculous squad. You guys are, I think everybody, you know, I'm not the only one that refers to you. You guys are like the pro team that just doesn't have the pro license. Like, it's just hit squad. And yeah. especially, I was really glad. I mean, I didn't really, last year, um, well, this year didn't obviously happen really. But when uh, Stephen Bassett left, I was like, well, thank God. They don't need him on the team too with you, Johnny, Tanner. I know I don't know the other guys over there. I first raced against them probably five years ago in Pittsburgh in a crit, and it was a big crit. It was uh, maybe sixty-one twos, but I got off the front with three of their teammates: the older guy, and then Skorka and somebody else. And I was like, "Well, this is not going to end well." And they just <laughs> beat yeah. me up. It was pretty brutal. So. Well, man, something awesome yeah. is going to happen, and uh, let's get a plug, too. So, uh, Natural State Cadence, do you have a site? Are you doing, like, Instagram as a website? Uh, I've got a got a website, and that, yeah, naturalstatecadence.com, and then I've got the Instagram page, and that's somewhat lacking, kind of like my uh, personal page, but uh, between my brother and I, my brother's helping out with it a little bit on writing some posts and things like that. So, but, yeah, between the two of us, we're cool. trying to keep it keep it up to date. Yeah, so those guys, you guys are now coaching with uh, going back to your old stomping grounds, Arkansas, which is exciting to have that whole crew of people. How many people are on the collegiate team there? Around. And I, yeah, I want to say it's around, it's between 10 and 20. It's, okay. uh, there's a whole lot more recreational cyclists that they try to convert to, to get into racing. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, uh, it's difficult for the, you know, the club sport side, uh, because they're always going through the president, presidents are changing, you know, leadership within the, the club is changing. So it's hard to, hard for it to move past where it is, it seems like, but, um, yeah, they, they've done well, they've gotten on some sponsors and things like that and, uh, got cool. some, some good writers and things like that. So yeah, and just trying to give that. back and give They've got that gravel race. Sorry to cut you off. It's um, is it usually in the spring that they put on? Uh, so it was going to be the f the first one was going to be uh, I believe my brother was scheduling it out. Um, and I, I, yeah, I want to say it was er early spring. I want to say I think so because I remember. It, and that makes sense now because I was talking to the person. I didn't know who ran their account, and it might have been your brother because I'm like, oh, this person is really nice. And like, I almost feel like I know them, but it. So probably was, I think it was because I had made the comment like, well, I'm a fair weather cyclist now being old. And I was like, if it's not like Mid-South gravel, maybe I'll be out there. But if it's raining and cold, I'm probably going to leave. So 
Yeah, well, people make sure to follow Natural State Cadence. I still love that name and the logo. It's perfect for Arkansas. And uh, hit up Tanner with some training questions. And uh, I don't know, anything else you want to tell the people? I just keep pushing pedals. Keep, there you keep, go, dude. Keep going. It's I, like, yeah. We'll have to have a follow up podcast and we'll see. Uh, we'll get some, a uh, couple other people maybe of like just talking about where cycling's going, maybe as the year goes on, because I'm just so curious about everyone's avenue and, and how, like, I always look at Andy Chastain as a huge, like, motivation of how he's really taken his personal branding into professionalism and like he's so tied into cycling obviously not as a pro but is just you know working with incredible brands I think there's so many opportunities I mean cycling's a huge industry and a guy one time told me oh I didn't get into cycling to make money and I'm like well that's fine if that's your choice but like there's a lot of people making a lot of money in cycling I think as cyclists we're somehow the message is like Oh, if you want to be a cyclist, you got to be poor. Well, okay. If you want to be a domestic pro, you don't get paid a lot, but you can figure out other ways like vegan cyclists, the dudes at cat three and making tons of money and doing all these videos and stuff like that. I just think like, I hope that the conversation grows for people that want to be involved. Like there's ways to have cycling in your life more than I think we really think. And there's ways to feed yourself with it. And, um, I don't know. We should get another conversation going with that down the road. I think he maybe got like Purvis too, because he's got a series. He finally yeah. got his camera and he wants to start doing a YouTube series. So, uh, and he's just a funny dude. So, well, dude, I appreciate your time. Sorry again about last night. Uh, that was embarrassing, but thanks for getting on before work. And hopefully we cross paths. Some what's last question. Um, well, I guess there's really no races scheduled. I'll see you at some road race one of these days. Yeah, see you at some road race, or yeah, come on over to Arkansas and maybe me, you, Johnny can do a little training camp or something like that. Dude, I actually just talked about that. I want to get in uh, some video series, and then that's when he was like, "Hey, I got this camera. I might. I don't want to blow up his spot and say what he was talking about, but we'll cross paths." Cool. All right, man. Thanks, Tanner. I'll talk right. to you soon, dude. All right, see you.